The word for today is pray. Pray. I want us to walk out of these doors committed to praying more than we do already. Now, some of us pray a lot. Some of us pray every day, multiple times during the day, and that's wonderful. I want you to commit to even praying more than that. And some of us, we're just kind of feeling like we're novices, or we couldn't really say when the last time we prayed. Well, okay, let's commit to praying more. The word for today is pray. And the reason why is because prayer is powerful. Prayer changes lives. Let me tell you about a life that was changed through the power of love, and the power of the gospel, and the power of prayer. This guy's name is Philip, and um, I, this is his wife, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember her name. Let's call her Philip's wife. It is uh, Philip uh, in Kathmandu. Philip uh, had, a, had a, a, a pretty crusty background. Philip... Uh, had a marriage that was in shambles, and, and Philip was a fellow who was without God in his life uh, until Sundar Tapa walked into his life and just loved him and gave him the love of Christ and, and shared with him about the grace of Christ and then just prayed for Philip. And the power of love and the power of grace and the power of the gospel just broke this guy's heart. And now he just can't stop smiling. That's what he looked like for one week. I'm not kidding you. I, he looked like that for one week. I would see him every day. He works at one of the farms uh, in, uh, in the ministry there at the Evangelical Christian uh, Mission of Nepal. Uh, because you see the, the children's home and the Bible college, it's not like they can just have an account at Sam's or Meyer or whatever in order to get whatever supplies they need to get. Because of the hostile nature of the culture, they have to be self-sufficient. So they have these farms that uh, are chicken farms and rice farms and wheat farms that grow the food, that feed the students and feed the children and feed the families. And Philip uh, has a new purpose in his life because of the power of prayer. Prayer changes lives. And so the word for today is pray. Pray. Prayer is what dominates the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at today in James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. You'll find James chapter 5 on page 856 of your church Bibles, the navy blue Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you want a copy of God's Word, please take that navy blue Bible as our gift to you. You can put your name in it and take it home. Page 856 is where we find our scripture today in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Now, you know James was a pastor at the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the key leaders there. And 
his congregation was scattered because of hostility from the culture. And that congregation not only had to flee Jerusalem, but they had to flee the nation of Israel. So they're in little spiritual communities um, uh, scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and he can't get to them. He can't do this to them. He can't be with them. And so they, one day, they received this letter from Pastor James. And the very first thing that James tells them after identifying who he is and to whom he belongs, Pastor James says, brothers and sisters, I know that you're being persecuted. I know that life is difficult. But I want you to consider it joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God is allowing you to, be, to experience this trial that you're experiencing, not because he's mad at you, but because he's making you into a man or woman of God. He is allowing you to walk through the fires of persecution, not because he's enraged with you, but because he's refining you. Not because he's punishing you, but he's polishing you. And you need to see it that way because God has already poured out all of his wrath and all of his anger on his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. That was done. D-O-N-E. And so now, whatever happens to my life, it is to make me more and more like Jesus. And just as Jesus endured persecution and suffering... God allows us to do that, and it's not because he's angry. It's because he's active in our hearts and in our lives. So don't cheat the experience. And sometimes we do, and James talks about how some believers cheat the experience of trials. We try to cheat the experience through the pseudo-power of bitterness, or back talk. Remember in James, I think, 3, where he says that uh, uh, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes we, we try to cheat trials uh, through, through materialism, the power of money or materialism, and that leads us to show favoritism to people into thinking that just because someone looks rich or they have a little bit more money, we're going to treat them with a little more favor than we would someone who's not. James says, let's not do that. Or sometimes we try to cheat trials just through, through, through pride and arrogance and boasting. James says that's a no-go either. Rather than cheating the experience of trials through the pseudo-power of, of bitterness and backtalk and money and materialism, James says, I want you to endure your trial through the power of prayer. The power of prayer. And thus, verse 13 is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James 5, 13 to 18. This is God's word. 
And as we look at God's word here this morning, James is talking to us about the power of prayer. And there's three uh, questions that James answers in these verses. And we're going to just walk through these questions. And the first question that James uh, answers is, when is it a good time to pray? When should we pray? We're going to talk about that. And then James says, okay, when is it good for others to pray over us? You may have detected that as we were reading these verses. And then finally, and this is the, oh, this is the rich part of the passage of Scripture. James says, James tells us what it is that makes prayer so very, very powerful. He tells us that. So when is it, when is it a good time to pray? When is it good for others to pray over us? And, and what is it that makes prayer so very, very powerful? All right. Well, you know, when we think about this first question, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you find yourself praying for something or, uh, and then you stop yourself and you think, ah, I'm not going to bring that up to God because that's just so trivial. That's just so silly. Am I the only one who's ever done that? You know, you just think, ah, he doesn't care about that. He's got busier things to do. Well, James deals with that very concern in these verses. Did you... Did you see that in verse 13? When is it a good time? Well, James says, is any one of you in trouble? Are you having a bad day? A troubling day? You should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Wait a minute, that's not a prayer. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Let him sing songs of praise. Well, if a song of praise to God isn't a prayer, what is? You hear what James is saying? James is saying, there is never a bad time to pray. There's never a bad time to pray. God, here we have these two extremes when we're having such a difficult, uh, 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 sorry, sad, no good, rotten day. But then on the other hand, it's just as blissful. We finally got our tax refund or whatever. God says, that's fine. And all of these, all of these in between these two extremes, pray. There's never, ever a bad time to pray. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now look at that. It says, what does the word in everything mean? Well, when you do a, a you search of all the commentaries, and you look up the original language, and you do a little bit of Bible dictionary work, you will find that the word in everything mean in everything it means in everything when you're happy when you're sad when you're having a great day when you're having a lousy day uh uh uh, pray Uh, some people might say now wait a minute randy wait a minute are you saying that it's okay for me to stand over a three-foot putt and to pray that god will help me make that putt is that what you're saying and i'm saying you can always ask You can always ask, all right? That's, that's what we're saying here. There's never a bad time to pray. Uh, Richard Foster has written uh, a great book on prayer that's titled Prayer. Now, that's original. Prayer. Prayer, Finding, Hearts True, uh, Finding the Heart's True Home. That's the full title. And, and uh, Foster talks about 
a chapter. He calls it, he calls it this. He calls it simple prayer. Listen to what he says. In simple prayer, we bring ourselves before God just as we are, warts and all. Like children before a loving Heavenly Father, we open our hearts and make our requests. And so if you're having a wonderful spring day in March, sing. If you're happy, sing. Sing to God. Sing in the shower. Sing in the car. Roll down the window. Crank up the music and belt it out. If you're happy, let him sing, James says. You must. You should. That's an order. God says, sing. C.S. Lewis put it this way, in simple prayer, uh, in everything prayer. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, in, in prayer, we lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And you know what? Sometimes that means praying prayers that we'd rather other people not hear. Okay? And I've heard these prayers. And some of them are doozies. Like this one. God, I'm so sick of people whining and complaining to me about what's going on. Have I done something that has put me out of favor with you? What's going on here? Here's another one. God, why do you let me be the butt of everyone's jokes? Why? Well, what about this one? God, I'm so angry that I wish you'd just take those little babies of my enemies and fling the little bodies against the rocks. You say, Randy, where, where have you come across those, those prayers? In the Bible. In the Bible. Yeah, the first one was prayed by Moses in the book of Numbers. Because he got so frustrated leading God's people. And, and the second one was spoken by the, the butt of everyone's jokes uh, prayer. That was by the prophet Jeremiah. And then uh, Psalm 137 verse 9 is the little babies dashing against the rocks prayer. And who said that? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I would want my name identified with that prayer. But I mean, well, did God answer that prayer? Well, I don't know. But maybe he said... You know, we've got to work on our people skills. Uh, you know. <laughs> Maybe. There's never a bad time to pray. Okay? Um, God, because in prayer, we connect with God. And, and, you know, on your outline sheet, how do you see prayer? Do you, do you see prayer more as using God, like the genie in the bottle thing? Or, or do you see prayer as loving God, being with God, relating with God, communing with God? See, God, God wants us to spend time with him because, it's, because he enjoys us, okay? And because we need him. We need him. So pray. The word for today is pray. There's never a bad time to pray. Okay? Now, I know when I say that, um, there may be someone here who responds with, but what if you can't? What if, what if I can't? Okay? Uh, I mean, what if I just can't? And I'm, I'm thinking of that scene in the movie Cinderella Man. It's a, a movie about the true story of the life of a boxer named James Braddock and he fought during the depression and he was making enough money uh, before the depression hit to feed his family and then the depression hit and then he broke his hand and then he couldn't fight and then they 
got kicked out of their house, and then he was in this basement shanty, and then he couldn't get work at the docks, and then in one scene, um, his wife, uh, um, character portrayed by uh, Renee Zellweger, she's got this half-full bottle of milk, and she takes it over to the faucet and, and fills it up with water so that there's enough to go around to all the kids. I mean, and, and they go around the dining room table and they're getting ready to have just the scraps for dinner and, you know, he is just so beaten and broken and she looks to him to pray and his response to her is, I can't. I'm prayed out. I'm just prayed out. And I wonder if there's anybody here who's ever felt that way. Either in your life circumstance or maybe uh, physically you've just, had a, you've just struggled with a sickness or an illness or um, you've struggled with this economy or you've struggled and you're just tired of struggling and you're tired of asking and you just can't pray anymore. Does James have a word for that person? And the answer is yes. Yes. When you are so down or when you are so physically sick that you cannot pray, then James says, call for help and ask godly people, spiritual leaders, to pray for you and pray over you. That's exactly, what, that's exactly where James is going in verse 14. When he says, is any one of you sick? Now, specifically, he's talking about physical sickness there. But I mean, sometimes life just beats us down so very much that we are sickened and down and depressed because of our life situation and circumstances, and we're depleted and drained mentally and and physically and, and spiritually and emotionally. Verse 14 says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it's such an important verse for us to hear because so often we just want to say, well, you know, I'll be okay. Let me just go away by myself and when I get fixed or when I fix myself or when, whatever, I'll come back and join the group. And James is saying, no, that's not how we want it. That's not how God wants it to work because we are a church community. And, we, and what we don't want to see happen is for people to be isolated or ostracized or marginalized. Let's get the leaders, the elders involved who represent the community and bring that loved one in and lift them up before the Lord because community matters. And I saw that in Kathmandu at the Asius Church where Tim and I were able to be. We saw that. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is actually the facility, and there is a senior's uh, residence on one of those floors. Uh, the, uh, the earlier pictures that I showed you of the worship room um, uh, is in that facility. And then the next slide, um, there's Sundar praying over the congregation. Next slide. Um, uh, uh, now I know how you can get 400 people in a room half this size. Take the chairs out. And uh, I'm not getting any ideas, but I'm just telling you how they do it. Uh, uh, but uh, next slide, uh, uh, I got to meet this just this uh, older brother, older man in the faith, and it was so encouraging uh, to just visit with him. And we prayed together, and he doesn't know English, and I don't know Nepali, but we're hoping that there was a connection there. Uh, and then there's the community uh, there that's happening after, after worship and during the pastor's conference. 
and it was just all over the place. Uh, when I returned, I was looking through these pictures, I, I, I got to, I w- my mind went to how strong their community was, not by what was there, but, but, why, but by what was absent. You know what was absent? You know, you know what I didn't see there, and you wouldn't see with all, if I showed you all the pictures? A parking lot. And I have a parking lot there. Huh? There's no parking lot. Well, how do they get to church? On their feet. They walk. They're there. Okay? They're there. At the pastor's conference, someone walked 13 days and then took a two-day bus ride to get there. Okay? And it's like, wow, that's pressure. (laughs) But they didn't come there to hear me. They came there for the community. And, and you, know, you know, we're not going back. We have a parking lot. Americans tend to want to bring their cars when they come to church with them. I get all that. And, and the, automobile, the automobile has transformed our culture incredibly. And it gives us freedom and liberty. And we're, Americans are liberty lovers, and that's great. And it's also made us uh, sometimes finicky consumers, Right? Because we can get in our car, and if we don't like this grocery store, we can go to another grocery store. Or, if we don't like this church, we can get in our car and we can go to another church. See? It's made us church shoppers. And the thing of it is, is that, you know, by having that luxury, it, it can, at times, keep us from pursuing the community. It's really hard for them to leave and go to another church because <laughs> there's not too many Christians in that country. You know, and you've already been ostracized by the idol-worshiping religions. And so what are you left with? Working out your conflict. Dealing with people. Dealing with community. Praying for one another. Not letting yourself be marginalized. And what James is telling us is let's get the elders involved to pray over this loved one. To pray in confidence because those elders... They are under shepherds who serve a chief shepherd, and that chief shepherd is standing at the door waiting to come in triumph over that which makes people sick and suffer, vindicating the faith of those who suffering and waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Let's get those elders involved. Our elders are at our best, church family. Not when we meet on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. That's not when we're at our best. We are at our best when we pray over you and when we deliver the word of God to you. Am I missing something here, elders? Correct me publicly if I'm wrong here. But we are at our best when we deliver the word of God and when we pray over the flock and shepherd. And so that's that's, that's, that's the primary role of church elders, okay? The responsibility is to pray. And you know, what the, you know what the congregation's responsibility is? To ask. Because elders can't, I cannot read your mind. I can't. And neither can our other elders. So you need to ask. And when you ask, we respond. Verse 14 says, talks about prayer and the anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. What is that? Well, Oil, which in that culture would have been olive oil. If the New Testament had been written in Champaign County, it would be corn oil or soybean oil. But it's not. It's olive oil. It was prevalent in their culture. 
That was a staple in their culture. There's no magic here. You know, just as the waters of baptism signify the washing away of sin, just as the elements of the loaf and the cup signify and symbolize the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, prayer accompanied by the anointing of oil in the name of Christ, and that means that the oil would have been placed like on the forehead or maybe on the hand. It signifies the setting apart of this sick individual or this hurting individual in a special way under God's care through the Holy Spirit. That, that's what that entails. And then verse 15 says this, and the prayer offered in faith, or literally the prayer of faith, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, a verse, you know, a verse like that can make a preacher you know, break out in cold sweats. I mean, whoa. You know, is God signing a blank check here? You know, it, this comes across so forceful, so unconditional. You know, it's as if nothing seems impossible and nothing is denied. You know, is that what James is really saying? Is it? Some, some te- you know what, if you took that, if you wrenched that verse out apart from the letter to James and apart from the entire context of the, in, of the whole Bible, well, yeah, I mean, of course. And some have done that and then accused God for that. And in fact, I'll tell you, um, there's a website called whydoesgodhateamputees.com. And uh, when you go to the homepage, and we're online right now, so you go to this homepage, and uh, it says, why won't God heal amputees? That's the most, that, according to the author of this website, that is the most important question that we can ask about God. Why won't God heal amputees? And there are uh, links uh, titled, uh, How Do We Know That Christians Are Delusional? So it's a very impartial uh, website. Um, uh, pro- another link, uh, Proving That Prayer Is Superstitious. But here's a quote from this website. If God intervenes with cancer patients to remove cancerous tumors, then God should also intervene with amputees to regenerate lost limbs. So why won't God regenerate the limbs of amputees? All right? And it wouldn't hurt you to take a look at this website just to see you know, what uh, folks who have a hard time with God to hear what they're thinking. But I wouldn't be afraid of this website. First of all, I get really uncomfortable when uh, the words God should are put right by each other in a sentence. (laughs) Okay? See, God is God, and I'm not, and so for me to say God should would imply me telling God how I think he ought to run this universe. And websites like this, they kind of, you know, they want it both ways. On the one hand, they blame God because, you know, he's almighty and all-knowing and all-powerful and won't heal amputees, but then at the same time, uh, they don't come to grips with the truth that an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God may have reasons for unanswered prayers that I can't possibly understand. After you look at this website, I want you to remember something about James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus is his older brother, right? After Jesus' miraculous birth, uh, then Mary and Joseph had at least six others. And James was one of the children, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. And much of 
the letter to James has already come to us from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You can just do a cross-reference of what's happening in the letter to James and then go back to the Sermon on the Mount and say, wow, yeah, Jesus already covered that. And so I submit to you all that the prayer of faith in James chapter 5, verse 15, is the prayer of faith that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, when Jesus said, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The prayer of faith is the kind of prayer that James has already mentioned in James chapter 1 verse 17 when he says that uh, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights the prayer of faith is this here's the prayer of faith ask and if it's good God will give it that's the prayer of faith the prayer of faith is is the absolute utter confidence that our Heavenly Father only gives good and perfect gifts. That's the only kind of gift that God gives. I mean, think about it for a minute. What if God gave you everything you asked for as long as you were sincere? What if God, what if God, what if just you walked out here today and, and, and from here on out, God gave you whatever you asked for as long as you were sincere? I'll tell you what would happen. If God did that, you'd never pray again. You wouldn't. You know why? See, James 4, 13 and 14 already says this. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know everything. Have you ever wanted something sincerely, but if you had it, it would hurt you or others? Have you? You know, you sincerely think it's good, but it's really destructive. Our children come to us and say, you know, Daddy, how come you haven't given me a Magnum 357 with armor-piercing rounds? <laughs> well, honey, you're eight. Okay? I mean, you know, pr- you know that kind of an- answered prayer would no longer have power. It would have destructive power. It would be child abuse. And so, you see, God gives you what you ask for or what you would have asked for if you knew all that he knew because he is your father not your uncle the lord's prayer is not our uncle who art in heaven it's our heavenly father and the only reason why you have unanswered prayer in your life is because your heavenly father loves you that's the only reason you say well what could what you know what could not, what, how, how could the cure for cancer not be good? You know what? I don't know. But God does. Are we willing to trust him even when, the one who knows even when we don't know? Or, see, are we willing to put our faith on the line at that point in time? And so James then takes us to this, to the rich part of this passage. There's never a bad time to pray. And, and, but when we feel like we can't pray, we need to have others come in. Godly, righteous people like, like our, the spiritual leaders of our congregation and or others to come and pray over us. And James then hits on the importance of godliness and righteousness. Because you see, he, verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous man or the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful things happen when righteous people pray. 
I mean, there's just a correlation there. I mean, when, when, when godly Christ-pursuing people chase God in prayer and with their lives, they just tend to see God working more in their lives. And James brings up a classic example of the Old Testament character Elijah. James says, now Elijah was a man just like us. Now wait a minute, how was Elijah just like us? I mean, wasn't he the prophet who called down fire on the prophets of Baal? Wasn't he the one who raised this this young boy from the dead? Yeah, but notice the example that James gives about Elijah's life. He says he prayed earnestly, literally he prayed in prayer that it would not rain and it did not. Why that example? Well, because James is trying to tell us that it takes time to see the effects of prayer. It takes time. Listen, if we prayed, hypothetically, if we prayed for a drought to hit Champaign County, now, if you're in the farm business, just relax, but if we prayed that a drought would hit Champaign County starting today, would we see the effects this afternoon? No, we wouldn't. Would we see it tomorrow? Oh, absolutely not. Go down 150. There's corn that hasn't even been harvested from last fall. The ground's so saturated. No, you wouldn't see it tomorrow or next week, next month. Yeah, probably not. What about next, next September? Yeah. Three years from now? Oh, yeah. See? See? James is trying to tell us to persevere in prayer and to endure in prayer, which is what has been the entire point all along in his letter. Don't pursue the pseudo powers of materialism or money or bitterness or backtalk or pride. Pursue the power of prayer because powerful things happen when righteous people pray. And now, church family, we have a new reason to live righteously and godly, don't we? See, it's not, be, it's not in order to get heaven because Jesus already has attained heaven for us. So that's not why we live righteously. And we don't live righteously to just be, you know, thought of as do-gooders in front of the world. Think about it. God wants us to pursue Christ passionately. He wants us to pursue godliness so that when we lift up others in the name of the Lord for their benefit and for their healing and so that they would know the Lord for the Phillips in our life, then that God by his grace and mercy might answer those prayers. I love this quote at the bottom of page two on your take-home sheets. The purest form of love is given with no expectation of return. Measured by this standard, earnest prayer for others is a magnificent act of love. And so I lift others up. So I have grown from simple prayer to the kind of deep water praying for the benefit of others as I lift them before the Lord and my life of righteousness and godliness puts those prayers on steroids. Now imagine that, not in the life of one believer, but an entire church, an entire church community. Imagine the power and the effect of continually persevering patiently in prayer for our community. I guarantee you, our community would feel it because because powerful things happen when righteous people pray. So then pray. The word for today is pray. Because I'm telling you this much, there is one right now who is praying for you. If, If it's true that powerful things happen when righteous people pray, who's the most righteous person Oh, Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he is in heaven right now. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know that? That God the Son in the Holy Trinity, God the Son, and for that matter, along with God the Spirit, is continually interceding and praying for you and for me to the Father. Father, may your will be done in Randy's life as your will is done perfectly in heaven. Father, thank you for giving Randy sustaining bread for the day and sustaining nourishment. Father, may Randy know that he has a multi-trillion dollar bank account of your grace and mercy so that when others come to him asking for a few bucks worth of forgiveness, he would give it. Father, please protect Randy from the evil one. Keep him from temptation. Father, may all that Randy does bring you glory and praise and honor forever and ever. I'm telling you, when God the Son prays that prayer, which he's doing right now for me and you, when he does that, the Father says, granted. Granted, hallelujah, yeah. And so here the believer has God the Son, God the Spirit interceding for my life, and the local church elders, and the congregation at large. (laughs) Wow, how can we not endure with that much support? You see why it's important to pray? Well, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray. It's time to pray. Time to stop talking about it and start doing it. And what that means is this. Here in the next few minutes... I'm going to give you the opportunity. Some of you, some of you just, it, for that, it would look like just staying where you are right now and just praying, you and God. And if it's simple prayer, then go to it. If it's, if it's prayer on behalf of others, then get it done. For some of you, that means getting up in this room right here and going to someone, sitting by them and just taking them by and praying over them. Husbands, for us today, it would mean, if not here right now in this room, before you turn the lamp off in your bedroom, you go to your wife and you kneel before her and you pray for her. Because listen, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, gentlemen, that when, that when we treat our wives with respect, nothing will hinder us our prayers. You going to do that? Some of you are prayed out. You just prayed out. And for those of you who are prayed out, our elders are here. And they're going to be right at this table right here. And elders, I want you to just make your way over there right now. Go ahead. And they are here and they be willing to pray with you and anoint you with oil. And that, as I said, it means just taking some of that oil and putting it on your forehead or your hand and just, and just praying over you. Let them do that. If you need that, we're here. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. There's never a bad time to pray. Ever. Uh, you know what? I'd like a half a dozen or so people to find Troy and Penny. Where are you, Troy and Penny? Where'd you go? And just pray over them and the calling that God has in their life and ministry, all right? Just six or seven people. If you could do that, that'd be great. There's never a bad time to pray. 
And when you're prayed out and you can't pray, man, call, call the elders. Don't leave this community. Be a part. And remember, passionately pursue Christ. So, because when you passionately pursue Christ, I'm, and then you pray, bang, that's what happens. Church family, the word today is pray. Pray.